Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons. I'm your host, Kerry Parker, and today we have part two of our very interesting interview with Mozilla's Chief Security Officer, Marshall Irwin. And we will get to that in just a minute, but I've got a few things to cover first. First of all, I hope you're having all a fun Labor Day weekend. There's, If you're listening to this right on Monday, you've got one day left, at least those of you in the U.S., Hopefully you had some good weather and uh, were able to enjoy the time even with all this stupid pandemic stuff going on. Oh my. Um, uh, I got a few things to update you on. First of all, the book is so close to being published. I just approved the very, very, very final edits today. So it really should be going to publishing anytime now. Uh, I think if I recall the way it was, gosh, it's been two years, but I think since the last time we did this, it gets it gets out there pretty quickly at this point. So I'm really hoping to be out there in a week or two, which is good because I'm also starting today, as promised, doing a big book giveaway. I'll have more details on the end, but there's lots of ways for you to enter. It starts today and it runs through uh, October 3rd. And there will be 15 lucky winners. So uh, stay tuned to the end of the show. I'll give you more details on that. But man, with the book, the book's so close, I I went through and I had to update all the artwork and links and everything. And oh man, I was so, so, so bummed, actually, kind of embarrassed to find that there was I had some of the stuff I had, I had to dig through all the different corners of my various websites, uh, the podcast website, the blog website, the, the, the newsletter stuff. And, uh, I found all sorts of old stuff that had not been updated. I was really kind of embarrassing, but hopefully I found it all now and everything is now completely up to date. I, um, uh, redid the my top five security tips that you get when you sign up for the newsletter. <laughs> the newsletter emails that you get when you sign up were woefully out of date. I can't believe I didn't get those. But uh, I am I am really proud of this one. It looks really good. I can't wait to uh, to actually hold it in my hand. I got 170 tips this time. Every every edition there's more. 152 were in the last one. So, and I even actually removed a couple. So <laughs> I added quite a few in this one. And uh, speaking of updates, you should notice that the podcast artwork has been updated to match the new book. So lots of changes. I spent a, I spent a lot of time this weekend getting all that done. All right, so let's uh, let's get back to our interview in part one. Check that out. Certainly, if you have not, we kind of talked a little bit about Marshall's background and Firefox's background. It's very interesting. I got Marshall's perspective on you know how kind of how we got where we are today and uh, his take on data privacy, and we just started to get into how we are tracked around the web. Today, we will finish that discussion, and then, of course, we will talk about how Firefox protects you from all these things, including uh, some other future features coming. So it's very interesting. One of the uh, one of the best parts today, though, was talking about how Firefox was nominated for an Internet Villain Award and why that was a good thing. Uh, but before we get in there real quick, we do talk about, uh, we throw a term around, I want to make sure we get defined. It's pronounced DOH, spelled D-O-H, and stands for DNS over HTTPS. Uh, which we've talked about before, but um, I think we I think we mentioned it without really fully defining it. So uh, anyway, so when we're talking about that, we're talking about encrypted website address lookup, which coincidentally is what got Firefox nominated for that Internet Villain Award. So let's not waste any more time. Let's get into part two of my interview with Marshall Irwin. <laughs> This is basically a cat and mouse game, right? It's the marketers going, you know, working with the privacy advocates. And so, you know, cookies, as you say, have been, third-party cookies in particular, have been kind of under attack for years. And so they're kind of mm -hmm. moving to other things, And as you mentioned before. So one of the techniques that I that I think is really, uh, really drives me nuts is uh, mm -hmm. redirect tracking. 
Yeah. Uh, and I don't think a lot of people realize that that's happening. Um, mm-hmm. Tell us how that works uh, and what do you do to prevent that? Yeah. So I think the, so when we released what we call enhanced tracking protection, which is the, the technology we use to block this third party cookie tracking a year ago, we knew that the market would try to evolve its techniques to continue to track users. And we made a commitment at that time to basically play this cat and mouse mouse game. And um, so redirect tracking is one of the techniques that is now being used to thwart our enhanced tracking protection tool. Redirect tracking is the idea that you click a link and rather than going directly to the site uh, that you you think you're going to go to, you are redirected momentarily through another site (laughs) that Mm. can then say, ah, this person is navigating to that site and can then set a cookie when you arrive on, when you are redirected momentarily and set a first party cookie that it can then access. And if that redirecting happens across enough sites, then they can essentially duplicate the properties of their, of third party cookies without right. actually using third party cookies. And so in our most recent version of tracking protection, we released some mitigations to try to address this as well as part of that cat and mouse game. So I actually just covered this recently because I forget there was something in the news that, that, that made me bring it up. But Google searches are notorious for this. And, and it's different beyond Chrome browser because they own the browser as well than <laughs> other browsers like Firefox and Safari. And, and I told the users that, you know, that you should, you know, usually you can hover over a link with your mouse and it'll tell you, you know, what the real link is. But of course, with JavaScript, you could fake that too. And Google has. And so yep. what I mentioned is like right click on it, copy the link, and then paste that just someplace else and then have a look at it. Mm-hmm. And it's at that point you'll see uh, the redirect to Google first before you go to wherever yep. it was. And embedded in that long, nasty URL is the actual target. Um, do you act like, for instance, so is that what one of the things Firefox does? Let's just, just pick through that and say, okay, we're <laughs> going to skip the middleman and go straight to where they wanted to go to. Is that like, so, is that something you could do? Yeah, so I'll say like your your solution there is one that makes a lot of sense to me, but that so much of the challenge that we run into when we think about what the right solutions are for Firefox users is like that's the type of thing that you can't expect the standard user to to understand and mm. and do. And so we need sort of more scalable solutions that sure. uh, don't involve as much sort of actual user user action. And so what we do is actually we remove the first party cookie if you haven't interacted with it for a long time. So that first party cookie will be set on the redirect. And if we remove the first party cookie in the cases where it's been set in this way, that will prevent the party from uh, re-identifying you in the future. So they might still do do the redirect and they might set another cookie, but they won't be able to identify you and your past activity because we have previously cleared the first party cookie they set. So that's the solution that we put into the browser. Gotcha. So one of the we talked about you know why this wasn't you know privacy wasn't built in to begin with and one of the gaping holes in in the whole in the whole internet you know web surfing process was DNS or domain mm-hmm. name system where we you know I was liken it to the phone book of the internet right where you want to convert yep. a name to a number and uh, until very recently in my uh, understanding it we have just kind of let that slide and so what that basically means mm-hmm. is before you go to any website you have to look it up and that lookup is in the clear so. Tell us a little bit about what uh, what you and Cloudflare in particular, I think, have done, mm-hmm. kind of worked together to close that loophole. Yeah. So there are really two problems with the current DNS that we've been working really hard to solve. The first is that your DNS queries are still today, for um, most browsers, uh, sent unencrypted in the clear, as you mentioned, which I think is just actually pretty remarkable. There's <laughs> right. been 
so much progress over the last decade, really since the Snowden disclosures at encrypting so much of your web traffic. And the fact that your DNS queries are still sent in the clear is just remarkable and something that I think yeah, is I out of step with the, the privacy and security expectations that everyone should have. The second problem is that your DNS queries are also disclosed to a different set of parties that aren't subject to a strong set of privacy protections. So for example, if if you're browsing from your home, you might be you are probably using the DNS service provided by your ISP. So you're disclosing the all of your DNS queries directly to that ISP, and then the ISP isn't subject to um, any strong regulatory regime to prevent them from abusing that data. Now, if you go somewhere else, like your local cafe or coffee shop, they'll be using a, a, a different internet service maybe, you'll be disclosing your, your DNS queries to an entirely different party and you have no idea who that is either, right? Or whether, right? And so that's just the fundamentally not the, the security or privacy property that you want right. from the system. If you are going to disclose your data to a party like your DNS queries, you wanna know exactly who that is. So there's two things that we're doing to, to solve this problem for Firefox users. The first is that we've incorporated the DNS over HTTPS protocol into the Firefox browser. So that will make sure that your queries are sent not in clear text, but rather are encrypted. The second thing that we're doing is we've partnered with Cloudflare to be the default DNS provider for Firefox users. So those encrypted queries are sent to Cloudflare. And we have established with Cloudflare a best-in-class set of privacy protections that they need to honor and that are backstopped with a contract with Mozilla Hmm. uh, that ensure that they can only retain that data for strictly for 24 hours and only use it strictly for the purpose of providing the DNS service rather than doing things like sell it or build a profile of your browsing activity. Um, and so those two protections we think are critical. Again, the, the query is sent in encrypted form to a party, in this case Cloudflare, that we know will protect that data and not do something malicious with it. So I, I believe that at one point, I mean, this was offered as, a, as, a, as an option for a while, and I believe then it became uh, default in Firefox. And that was... Uh, that turned out to be a pretty controversial move, mm-hmm. at least yeah. in terms of the marketing folks. And uh, I thought this was hilarious. And and, and that is that there was some, uh, I think, a UK marketing association who nominated Mozilla as an internet villain uh, mm-hmm. for an internet villain award. So, you know, I got to ask, first of all, I didn't see the end of that. Did did you win? Uh, and if you did, did you put that in a prominent place in your lobby? <laughs> yeah, so it was... This has been a controversial initiative, both in the United States and also in parts of Europe, for slightly different reasons. And so currently, uh, the approach that I described is default on for U.S. users. We do not have it yet defaulted on for our European users, and the path forward there isn't isn't yet clear. And we need hmm. we are still working to figure out how we can actually turn it on by default for uh, our European users. Um, the what that was the the Internet Villain Award that you mentioned was actually the UK Telecommunications Association, and uh, you know at the time we thought it was a pretty foolish thing and a, a hyperbolic thing for them to do, uh, and it didn't cause us too much concern. I think folks who know Mozilla know that we are in the business of trying to make the web uh, more secure, and that doesn't mean we know exactly what to do and we're always right, but it means I think we're acting in the best interest of 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 a better internet and what really that showed is that the parties on the other side really working to prevent our doe deployment were not really acting in good faith 
And ultimately, the UK Association withdrew that mm. <laughs> and actually shut down its Internet Villain Award <laughs> uh, for the year because I think it didn't reflect very well on them. Um, I do think it's important, though, to call out, like, we haven't actually won yet <laughs> in <laughs> Europe. And what's really critical is the challenge we've run into in parts of Europe is that there is a, a desire to use the DNS as a content moderation and content control, mm, mm -hmm. which we think for a number of reasons is a pretty bad idea. Yeah. But the fact is that it's nonetheless, nonetheless um, an interest in, in various parts of Europe, including in the UK. And we need to work to reconcile that with our deployment model for Doe. The concern, and ultimately why we haven't won yet, is we do not yet have a path to deploy DNS over HTTPS in Europe. And what that could ultimately mean is that users in Europe actually have a less secure internet <laughs> than yeah. users in the rest of the world. And that is an outcome that I think we really want to work to avoid. But it is one that I think concerns me. And that doesn't mean that we, Mozilla, have won or lost. Ultimately, if that's the outcome we end up in, that means that users in Europe are the ones that ultimately lose out there. We want to bring a more secure internet to everyone and not just to our, our U.S. users. Um, European users tend to be much more sensitive about privacy and security, and I really think it would be a shame <laughs> if that means that ultimately, because of some of these content moderation regimes, we can't actually deploy a technology that would help protect their privacy and security. One more technique I'd like to bring up, and you mentioned it before, and that's browser fingerprinting. And it's it's really a very crafty and insidious uh, technique for tracking people around the web. And it's honestly, a, I haven't yet to hear any solid solution to that. Mm -hmm. um, can you explain a little bit uh, overview how that works exactly? And is there are there ways to prevent or even even to mitigate this at this point? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it is a much harder problem than than the third party cookie based tracking, and one that we are actively working on, um, but don't have the elegant, easy solution that we would, we would love to have yet. Um, so browser fingerprinting, the basic idea is that the, the site can query properties of your browser. For example, it can query to see what fonts are available in the browser to display, or can query to determine the screen size that it's working with so that it can display uh, content on the screen properly. And because all of those properties might be somewhat unique, if you combine those, the site is able to create a unique identifier for you or what is described as a fingerprint. And that fingerprint often won't change over time. And so it can be used if this, this fingerprinting activity happens across a number of sites that you visit, this can essentially become a tracking vector, uh, this fingerprint. And it is fingerprinting, like I described, is uh, in use today by a number of different parties. And we worry that it will that the use of this, this technique will expand as we block more and more third-party cookie-based tracking. The solution that we have to that is, is very similar uh, to the one that we are um, using in enhanced tracking protection with cookies, which is that like we can identify fingerprinting domains and block, and block mm -hmm. their, the load and therefore prevent them from actually tracking users. By blocking the load rather than uh, simply blocking the third-party cookie from being set, it creates a number of challenges with respect to sure. the user experience. And so it's a lot trickier to actually deploy that across all of our users in a way that doesn't interfere with the, the actual user experience, which is why we aren't as far along in actually having a solution in place that um, uh, will, will work um, moving forward. We did last year release some anti-fingerprinting 
techniques as part of our, our second iteration of enhanced tracking protection. Um, and we are working against it, but the, the solution isn't, um, it's not as ideal as we would like. So, and I, I don't know that you would have a comment about this, but I just thought an interesting anecdote for me was, uh, and I don't know what happened to this, but Google, uh, ironically, has been pursuing a, a standards-based approach to this, I think. And, it, you know, we've always got to remember that the one reason Google pushes for a lot of these quote-unquote privacy protection things is because they're the dominant browser and they don't need mm-hmm. these things to track you. So mm-hmm. that by preventing other people from using them, they're actually, be, you know, uh, helping their own business. But anyway, so they had proposed uh, basically like an information budget that's mm-hmm. kind of how I describe it. And that is, you know, there's all these different things that a browser could tell about you and your computer and browser. But I think what they were basically proposing was that, okay, you can ask me like four questions. <laughs> so, you know, so <laughs> yeah. like instead of giving me all 100 answers, which I could add up to make something unique, I can only ask about the five or, you know, six things that I think are really important. And that therefore, have you heard anything about that? Are you familiar with that? Yeah. I mean, so there are a number of initiatives across the industry like some of them being led by led by google to try to duplicate some of the functionality that is important for advertising on the web without duplicating the inferior set of privacy properties that come with third party cookie tracking today so the privacy budget is one of those ideas Um, there's a similar work stream involving what's called conversion tracking trying to figure out how you can measure effectively measure the rate at which a user is engaging with an ad <laughs> without mm. actually disclosing, without tracking users across the web to do so. And that's also another initiative that I think Google has been heavily involved in. Um, I think I would say it's it's incredibly hard to duplicate the functionality that the ad tech ecosystem depends on, mm. but with a better set of privacy <laughs> right. properties. And so right. I'm ultimately a little bit skeptical. I appreciate the effort. I would like to, I would like to see it be successful, but you know, our work has not focused as much on trying to duplicate the functionality that the current ad tech ecosystem depends on, because ultimately we think it's not a very healthy ecosystem right now. And we are more focused on really driving to make the cross-site tracking harder. And if there are parallel efforts that are successful without duplicating some of the inferior privacy properties that exist within the current ecosystem, that would be great. Um, I'm a little skeptical ultimately that it will land uh, where we all want, but worth paying attention to. The fundamental problem with all these things is that, you know, these content providers do need to, you know, keep the doors open, uh, keep the lights on. Uh, and of course, you know, this makes them make a profit for most of these things. It's kind of what we, what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet people don't like paying for anything. <laughs> people don't like paying yeah. for anything. Um, one of the, one of the interesting approaches, uh, was the brave browser, which I'm sure you're familiar with. And that is sort of a, uh, I don't know, attention coins, or uh, I forget exactly how they, uh, what they called it, but it, how, what do you think about the whole brave uh, concept uh, and uh, for kind of sidestepping the tracking and still making money and you know micropayments and other things what have you heard of any other any other techniques for 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 making these let the, letting these guys make a profit without pri- uh, invading your privacy yeah so i think there are a number of different potential solutions here that i think they will work in some circumstances and i think are promising um one of them is very forms of a subscription model. And so that's essentially what Brave is doing with a unique type of technology. Um, But there are other approaches that fit within that bucket. You know, a lot of the major publishers now have um, successful subscription services. Um, We have partnered with a company called Scroll to test out 
a subscription service that would provide mm. access to content across the web. And so I think some of those solutions will will work, some won't, but I think it's a it's a promising line of work. Um, the other areas that I think are worth looking at are uh, contextual targeting. So rather than these the behavioral targeting that requires the creation of these expansive user profiles, targeting based on context, what you're actually reading, mm. I think can prove to be a valuable form of targeting that generates revenue without actually uh, creating all the privacy risks associated with the behavioral targeting. And fundamentally, like something like search, which is proven to be very effective, there are some behavioral targeting components of a lot of search advertising. But fundamentally, the query is the context. The query is the most important signal. And that's actually, so it's, so it's kind of the most successful version of contextual targeting is what we see with search advertising. And then the last thing I would highlight is that a number of the major publishers focus are, are exploring basic brand advertising. They have a strong enough brand that advertisers will want to um, advertise their marquee products on their properties, even if the the targeting isn't um, incredibly sophisticated and powered by massive user profiles. I think that's something that at least the major profiles take pretty seriously as an option for them. So one more browser I want to talk about uh, before we get into uh, some wrapping up here is is the Tor browser, and that is, uh, you know, a lot of people haven't heard of this, and I, I, I think a lot of it's because it's honestly, it's kind of slow and it's hard to use, and mm-hmm. you know, a lot of people probably don't know enough about what's going on to even think to search out something like this. But it is related to Firefox. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about what you know, what is the Tor browser and why might somebody use it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the the Tor browser is actually built on top of the Firefox code base but with a number of changes that create stronger privacy guarantees for users, but might also degrade the user's experience, like, for example, the, the actual experience being slower. And so it is a browser that I think is really well-suited for um, people who have particular threat models in mind. So, for example, the core value proposition of the, the Tor browser is to create greater anonymity when you browse the web so that you aren't disclosing your IP address directly to the other parties that you navigate to. And what that means, what that anonymity is really valuable for is for people like journalists or activists who might be navigating in repressive regimes and they don't want the people on the other side of the line to know exactly where they are and to be able to identify them. That's the type of scenario Mm. that the Tor browser is really ideal for um, because it creates a greater level of anonymity uh, on the web and protects you from someone someone who who might actively want to do you harm by re-identifying you and finding you. With the the drawback, though, being because of the way that uh, the Tor browser adds this anonymity, it actually slows down the user experience a fair amount. Yeah. So I've recommended the Firefox browser for many, many years. Uh, it's it's the go-to browser for me and everybody. I've uh, all my audiences, the, the book, the the glasses, everywhere. Um, but one of the things I often recommend as well is installing some additional privacy add-ons, like uh, usually uBlock Origin on a Privacy mm-hmm. Badger. And one thing I'd love to know from you is. Do those play nicely with Firefox privacy features, or you know, are they kind of competing or stepping on each other's toes? How, how, do they work together well? Uh, I would say they are somewhat duplicative. Um, they work together well. I, I'm, we have things like uBlock Origin and Privacy Badger in the our add-on store, and often recommend that people use those. Uh, what our technology that we turn on by default in the browser, enhanced tracking protection, does is it 
it prevents setting of third-party cookies and prevents the tracking. What a lot of these other tools do is they both prevent the tracking and the ads. Mm-hmm. And so if you want an ad-free experience, some of these add-ons might, might be for you. Um, the actual underlying value of preventing the privacy risk is somewhat duplicative of the technology that we now have on by default in, in the Firefox browser. Um, but you might want an ad-free experience. And for various reasons, we felt like it was important for our company to focus on the underlying privacy risk by preventing the tracking and not by actively blocking the ads that, that surface. So I'm curious to know, in this space, there are certain other players, um, uh, DuckDuckGo, uh, Have I Been Pwned, Epic, mm-hmm. and EFF. Uh, surely you guys must all, all run in the same circles. Mm-hmm. Uh, so is there talk of partnerships or, I don't know about mergers, but you know, working together with and you know, bringing together some of these technologies all under one, uh, one umbrella? Yeah, so on the NGO or non nonprofit side, EFF has often been a really strong partner of ours for various initiatives regarding sort of privacy and security. So for example, uh, in when we came under pretty intense criticism regarding DNS over HTTPS, HTTPS uh, EFF was a strong, strong partner. Um, really, they saw the value of, a, of an encrypted web and of, of DNS traffic being encrypted. Um, and uh, we were able to partner with them pretty effectively to push back on some of the criticism and to articulate exactly mm-hmm. why this was the good path forward for the web. Um, and so they've almost always been a, a, a good partner of ours um, historically since since Mozilla was really, really founded. Uh, have I Been Pwned is a good example. We are actually current partners with Have I Been Pwned. We have something that we call the Firefox Monitor Service where you can sign up to receive breach alerts from Mozilla and we use Have I Been Pwned as the sort of data source for that. And so um, currently, as of uh, this week, there are, I think, like 470 uh, breaches hmm. listed in our Firefox monitor service involving over, like, I think, 10 billion actual breached accounts. And that's drawing on data from Have I Been Pwned with a partnership with, uh, with Troy Hunt. One of the other tools that I often recommend is send.firefox.com. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, it's been actually out of service for some weeks now. Uh, mm-hmm. Can you tell us what's going on with that and when we might see that service return? Yeah. So we are still looking at Send to decide if it if it's going to be part of a privacy and security suite that we want to offer. Um, we have a number of what we think are really neat, valuable services to users right now. Firefox Monitor is one. We have a, a what we call Firefox Private Relay is another mm-hmm. that I can talk a little bit more about. And these all offer uh, really compelling value to users. And we're trying to think about how we can sort of offer them as a, as a package that would make sense to, um, to a broader set of users. And we want to figure out how Send fits within that sort of story and strategy of offering a, a set of privacy and security services to our users. We brought Send down probably off the top of my head, I think it was probably about two, two months ago, mm-hmm. uh, when we realized there were there was some abusive activity happening on the, on the service. And we, we felt like it was important to take time to look at it holistically and think, what are the resources we need? What, it, what are the changes in the user experience we need to address the abuse and try to tamp down on the abuse happening with the service? And then what is the long-term vision for Send and how does it fit within this portfolio of privacy and security products? And we haven't yet made a decision about that. And you did mention that we didn't get to all the Firefox privacy features. Uh, are there any other particular ones that you would like to highlight today that uh, to make sure our listeners are aware of? 
<laughs> yeah, Firefox Private Relay is the one that I'm really excited about going forward. We released it in beta in June. And what this service does is it's part of that cat and mouse game that we mentioned earlier yeah. as, as tracking techniques evolve. So one of the biggest challenges that we are going to run into is as parties shift away from third-party cookie-based tracking, what we worry they're going to resort to is using your email address or a hash of your email address as a permanent identifier that's mm -hmm. used to track you. And that's incredibly problematic because, you know, often you don't change your email address. Right. I've had the same email address for, for a long, long time. And, and that means it's going to be a persistent identifier that you just don't control if that becomes the tracking vector. So Firefox Private Relay is an attempt to address that. It is a service that allows you to generate random email addresses that you can use to sign up on particular websites. And then when those services send you email, it will route through our system and route to your actual standard email address without your ever having to actually disclose mm. that real email address That's great. Uh, to those parties. So um, I'm really excited about that. I think uh, it's an attempt to get ahead of this email hash problem that I think is is going to be an issue for us going forward. Yeah, and you know, it really turns out that you know, other than social security number, that I think that the two IDs that most follow us throughout our lives today is our our cell phone number because we can now port it, right? So no one wants to change mm -hmm. their number. So even yep. if they change providers, they, they they keep the same number. And so your cell phone number and your email address are the are the two things that most people never want to change. And so a lot of sites are requiring you to sign up for a quote unquote free account. But of course that now associates you every time you go to that site with probably your email address. Exactly. And then they'll then they'll trade or sell that data right. as well, which is like, you know, there's nothing wrong with disclosing your email address to a trusted party who you know is going to protect it. But in reality what you're gonna see a lot of is is sites requiring you to sign up and then sharing your username data, your your email address with other parties like Facebook, and, and that's a huge problem. Yeah, now we need a now we need a Firefox relay for phone numbers because I, I really want yeah. to be able to, I want to be able to give out a temporary number that routes to mine that doesn't give away my real number. All right, so besides Firefox, we've talked about that. What other advice? Uh, wrapping up here, what other advice might you give our listeners to help them guard their uh, their privacy and protect their data online? Yeah, you know the general advice that I give to to everyone and what I try to um, try to use in my daily life is to Think uh, to be mindful about the parties that you're going to trust online. So much of our experience on the web is frictionless, and that means that we end up just quickly making a decision to give data to parties that we know very little about. And if we just raise the bar a little bit, if there was a moment of pause where you're mindful and thought, like, do I know this party on, on the web? And uh, is it someone that I should trust? We would all actually be a lot better off. And, uh, and just by being that much more mindful. And that's what I, the, I, I do a number of things to protect my privacy, but I think ultimately that's the most important thing is just taking a second of pause to say, like, is this a party that I should trust with my data? And if everybody did that, um, I, think, uh, I think we'd be in good shape. Thank you so much for coming on the show. And the only, the only other thing I might end with is what other things can we do to support efforts like Firefox? I, I know you've got the, the nonprofit side. I'm sure, I mean, I don't know if you take donations directly, but mm -hmm. I personally would be more than happy. I'd be, I'd, I'd jump at the chance to pay for Firefox if I had the opportunity. What, yep. what other things might we be able to do in the future to, uh, to support Firefox? Yeah. So use Firefox would be the one, the, the <laughs> most critical piece that I would, I would highlight. You can give donations directly to the Mozilla Foundation, uh, which 
drives a lot of the advocacy work that that organization does, which is really important, I think, in light of uh, all of the sort of tech tech problems that we have today. Um, the foundation's advocacy work is pretty awesome, and you can support that directly with, with donations to, to them. And for that advocacy work as well, you can actually participate. So the foundation will run campaigns to oppose things like um, legislative proposals to, mm-hmm. to weaken encryption. You can sign up to support those, add your names to petitions, and help help protect things like encryption and, and contribute to the Mozilla Foundation's other campaigns. So that's another good way if you're looking to contribute to, to jump in. Well, and you know, if my audience listens to me at all, they've already got Firefox. So the next thing I would say is get your <laughs> get your friends and family. Well, thank you. you know, I appreciate you're, that. You're probably the IT for person in the family anyway, so maybe you get there, you know, have that installed yep. with everybody else too. Marshall, thank you so so much for coming on. I've been wanting to talk to you guys for so long. You're doing such great work, and it just you keep cranking up more and more privacy things that were just awesome. So thank you again so much for coming on, and thanks for everything you guys are doing for our privacy. Of course, thank you, Carrie. Big, big thanks to Marshall for coming on the show. And like I said, I've really been wanting to get somebody in here from Firefox for a really long time. Obviously, I mean, I've been, as you all know, I have been promoting Firefox since day one. And it is still uh, my favorite browser. You know, there's, you can think about Tor browser, but that's, you know, for Mets, you know, that is very private, but it's not for most people. It's kind of slow. Uh, you know, certainly if you're a dissident or a journalist or, you know, there are definitely people who would benefit from something as uh, strictly private as the Tor browser. But, you know, for our day-to-day lives, for me, Firefox is really the way to go. Apple Safari actually also does a great job, but of course, it's only available on the Mac. And while I think Safari is going to be a little more open to plugins coming up, they've been kind of stingy about that. In fact, for a while, they didn't allow any plugins, so you couldn't get things like uBlock Origin or Privacy Badger on Safari. So anyway, as uh, as Marshall said, one of the best things you could do to help support them is just tell people about Firefox, get people to use Firefox. I, I imagine a lot of you already do because I talk about it all the time. But, you know, friends and family, make sure they're aware of Firefox and why it's so much better than Chrome. As I've often said, you know, Chrome and Firefox are, are, are both good when it comes to security. They're both, you know, going to great lengths to try to make sure that your session is as secure as possible. But when it comes to privacy, there's just there's just no competition. There's just no comparison. Uh, just to, you know, Google's Chrome has got just clear conflicts of interest when it comes to that. So step one, definitely use Firefox. Tell your friends and family as well. Uh, step two, if you really want to take that next step, is to support Mozilla. Go to the Mozilla Foundation. You can actually support their efforts directly with donations. And we can all hope that uh, Mozilla and Firefox will be able to hang in there. It's, it's, it's rough out there. It's hard to make money and stay in this business, but especially when you're kind of all alone. So we need to do everything we can to support these efforts. Now, so next week, I will definitely be having a news show. There's so much stuff to cover. I'll update you on the whole Apple versus Epic thing. We're going to talk about some iOS 14 privacy updates, things I've already talked about. But, you know, as it gets closer and Apple keeps releasing these new beta versions, and getting closer and closer to the final release, they keep tweaking things, and some for the some for the better, some not. And we'll talk about that next week. I will probably also discuss an article I saw that has a rather ironic twist to the whole Amazon Ring doorbell mass surveillance issues with respect to law enforcement. And uh, I will probably actually have a new show after that one as well, two in a row, because the week after that, we will be welcoming back to the show one of my favorites, Corey Doctorow. He obviously works at the EFF, but he's a, a 
He's a writer. He's a blogger. He does all sorts of stuff. He's got another book coming out called Attack Surface that'll come out in October. It's the third book in the series with Little Brother and Homeland, both of which I have recommended before. But he and I are definitely going to be talking about the whole Apple versus Epic thing. We'll probably talk about TikTok a little bit. As I said on recent shows, I really wanted to get his opinion on that. And I know he's got he's got a lot of them. And he, he's so smart, as well as extremely entertaining. So I cannot wait to have Corey back on the show. Uh, that will be coming up in just a couple of weeks. I am still working to get that other surprise guest on the show. Maybe have a little trouble getting it scheduled, but hopefully that will come soon. Now, as promised, let's talk a little bit about this book giveaway. So I kind of went back and forth on this, trying to figure out the best way to do it. I looked at Goodreads, but I really didn't like what I saw there in terms of their giveaways. And actually reading the comments there, somebody in the comment section recommended that I look up Rafflecopter. <laughs> now, you know, all the good names are taken, let's face it. So, you know, any startup company out there has got to come up with some kind of wacky name. So, you know, Rafflecopter, I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but uh, they do have a really interesting platform for doing giveaways. So um, I will be doing a giveaway hosted on Rafflecopter starting today. It will run through October 3rd, so you've got plenty of time. But you can also use that time to enter multiple times. There are actually multiple ways for you to enter. And for those of you, since you're already a podcast listener, uh, you've already got to step up on everybody else. You'll have two extra entries right there. All you have to be able to do is say what my signature catchphrase is, which if you listen to the show, you know what that is. It's That's how I end every show. So there'll be two free extra entries for you right there. If you're a newsletter subscriber, if you want to become a newsletter subscriber, that'll get you three more entries. And you can get a you can also get an entry for every other friend you refer so lots of ways to enter. You can uh, stuff the ballot box, as it were. And what for? What will you be doing this for? I'm glad you asked. I will be giving away 10 free digital copies of the book in PDF form. And I will be giving away five paperback copies signed by me. And uh, if you'd like, I can even personalize the uh, the inscription. So please check that out. Uh, it's got kind of a long, wacky address. So I went to Bitly and created a nice shorter version that's a lot easier to remember. Uh, and it's bit.ly, that's the website, bit.ly, bit.ly, slash firewalls4. That's F-I-R-E-W-A-L-L-S and the number four. bit.ly slash firewalls4. And that will take you right to the site and you can see you there how you can enter. And, uh, you know, with the fourth edition of this book, I'm so proud of this. It's uh, really happy the way it turned out. I just did the final edits uh, literally today. Uh, and it's ready to go. And uh, I'm so happy with the way this turned out. And with this fourth edition, I'm I'm really trying to kick it up a notch. I'm trying to take all of this to the next level. And uh, I'll explain a little bit more about that in the, in the coming shows. But for now, please check it out. And please share around with your friends. Share it on your social media. And give them all a chance to uh, enter the win the book. All right, that'll do it this week. Thanks again for listening. Tune in next week. We'll have that big news show, as I've promised. Enjoy the rest of your Labor Day weekend. Stay safe. Keep those masks on when you're going out. Keep doing that whole social distancing thing, and we will get through this eventually. Stay safe, everybody, and don't get caught with your drawbridge down.